right. Once again, listeners, this is Mark Griffin, Director of Customer Solutions here at Constructs. We're a team of software engineering experts led by legendary author Steve McConnell. Here we believe every software team can be more successful at delivering higher levels of business value. In these episodes, we talk with one of our consultants exploring one of our different types of engagements. We describe the issues those engagements were designed to address and how we solve them. Today, we're continuing with our series of podcasts that delve into the world of Kanban, and that's a topic that's pretty popular, apparently, from the listener feedback we've received. We're joined in the virtual studio again by Jenny Stewart, Constructs' VP of Consulting and a frequent Kanban instructor, consultant, and coach. Welcome back to the microphone, Jenny. Glad to be here, Mark. How's life? Getting by. Same old, yeah. same old. Yeah, yeah. Minus the cooking, snow. Cooking education classes and things like that, kind of doing some fun stuff, hopefully, besides work stuff. Yep. I actually have a couple baking classes coming up over the next few months. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds great. So today's episode is going to focus on seeing the big picture, and that's working with Kanban at higher levels of abstraction and workflow. More specifically, we're going to touch on the program and portfolio levels today. Um, These elements have come up in many of our client conversations that organizations have in in organizing and running their Kanbans. So just to recap um, for those those who are listening to this particular podcast, in the first episode of the series, we talked about misconceptions people have about Kanban. And then the second one, we got into the details with some of the mechanics of setting up a proper Kanban system. And we have links to those episodes in the description um, that's posted in the podcast that you saw. If you're not quite up to speed on what Kanban is and how to run a Kanban system, I recommend you check those out first before continuing on with this particular podcast. So, Jenny, let's talk about the bigger blocks of our discussion today and, and, and say a brief word about portfolio versus program and what do you mean by those terms, okay? There's, there's a hierarchy involved here, right? There is. And it's funny, the P words in our industry are rampant. <laughs> We've got product, project, program, portfolio, on and on. Um, for the purposes of our conversation today, I would think about the program for a program Kanban board being a collection of work. Uh, depending on the organization, that might be a set of projects or a set of features or epics, initiatives, capabilities, really something that can be delivered by that group and provides customer value. And then the portfolio being a collection of those that are managed above that. Okay, that's a good visualization. So let's get into this idea of a program level Kanban board. What goes into a program board in the first place? That's the first thing to start thinking about. Um, Generally, and your tool will often guide you here, generally I'm looking at either epics or features. Uh, And if you're looking at something like Jira, you might be doing it at the epic level or if you have a feature plugin, you might be thinking about a feature because that's the delivery vehicle you give to your customers and the epics are things that maybe you aggregate up to deliver a feature. Um, but if you're delivering epics all day long out to your customers, that's what I'd want to put on your program board. Uh, if you're looking at something like Azure DevOps, where epics is the parent above features, then I'm likely going to be modeling either that feature level or that epic level, depending on how the organization is using it. So really what I'm looking for is what is something that provides meaningful customer value that gets deployed and released to our customers. And I want that at the level for my program board. Perfect. 
Yeah, and the value thing is the strong message we'll be hitting all day today. So I think that's the right thing to, to, to focus on. So you say they're for showing how value flows across multiple teams in this case, right? Yeah. I mean, I've actually been in a few places where we visualize team workflow and above that same team, we're visualizing something that feels like a program board just because they want the day-to-day details and that bigger picture. And that team is releasing value into the marketplace. Um, So I can certainly do all of this at the one team level, but more commonly we're doing it at the multi-team level because I have say five teams or 10 teams or 15 teams And I really want to understand how my value is flowing across all of those teams, and especially in cases where more than one team needs to participate in the creation of the value, it becomes really important to make sure I'm seeing that big picture. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, in in terms of the organization, who actually sets these boards up? Who's, Who's involved in that process? I'm generally looking for a small but very cross functional group of people. So generally, uh, I'm sitting down with, say, three to six people, and I've got representatives from user experience, representatives from product management, and representatives from the engineering organization, at least one from each of those uh, major disciplines, because we want to be thinking about all the steps and activities that we want from that mix of user experience, uh, business needs and technology. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I, th- I think having those all those people at the table, I think it's also also from a long term perspective, it's helpful for them to always feel like they're part of the process and part of crafting the changes if they need to make changes moving forward. Right. That's right. And I also want to make sure that we're thinking about this. Uh, across that collection of disciplines. I'm not just thinking, what are the steps that we need to do from a product management perspective, but also thinking about, okay, in this early phase, uh, maybe we at least want to do what we call the technology sniff test, right? (laughs) You tell me what the idea is. And uh, if the technology folks don't laugh me out of the room, then I know it's probably viable to keep talking about it. Perfect. So how about we talk about some client examples and, and, and and we'll we'll use those as a way to set up um, how we, how these boards are crafted, so the listeners can get a feel for the approaches. The setup usually follows um, similar steps as in a team level implementation, right? Defining work items, model the workflow, set up the X criteria, and then something about uh, work and process limits. So uh, let's break down each of those for the program con board. How about the work items here? What what do they look like in this case? Yeah, generally, we're looking at features or epics. That would be the first thing that I would start looking at. But it varies from organization to organization. I've had a few places where what we're modeling at the program level are initiatives and a few other places where they're called capabilities. So again, I go back to that. What are you delivering that's a meaningful piece of customer value, something that somebody is asking for? that we wrap up in a bow and actually deploy and release to them. And that's going to be the first thing that we're going to start to model, whether you call that a feature or an epic or an initiative. We just want to make sure that we're modeling something that truly provides value for these kinds of boards. And that's not usually contentious, right? People tend to agree with that pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, we tend to start – generally the conversation is – there's at least one aggregation above stories that we're going to be looking at. 
And then it really comes down to the deployment cadence. So for organizations that release really, really frequently, it's typically whatever the parent of the stories are. That's really the thing that I aggregate up enough stories to have a value that warrants kind of maybe flipping the feature flag or turning on the feature toggle and letting people know, hey, this is here, um, or doing A-B testing on it, that kind of thing. If I've got organizations that have fairly long release cycles, I still work with some people who release once a year. Um, not very common to do that, but we still have some clients in that situation. Then I'm usually looking at the parent above the parent of the stories. So if the stories have a parent that's an epic, we're usually modeling features and epics become the thing that we're looking at internally as progress visibility to theirs, to those parents. But it, it's usually a fairly easy conversation to find these. Perfect. Well, next in the process would be modeling the workflow and that's modeling the activities from the start to the end. And how about a, how about a common example for us to, to look at that we can visualize? So the, once I know the workflow that the work item, a feature, an epic that I actually want to be modeling, it actually becomes pretty simple. I just, I ask what happens. What's the first thing that you do with an epic? And people begin to describe that to me. And typically there's some form of an analysis activity. What that gets called can be really different, different organizations. It might be like preliminary feature evaluation or um, it might be kind of, we do a lightweight business case on it. Uh, so the wording is going to change from organization to organization. And that's actually one of the things that you want is you want the board to reflect that wording. But I'm generally looking for at least a couple high level analysis steps of some kind that happen before we move into building it, releasing it or deploying it and then releasing it. Uh, and I really do want these things to be representative of the way the organization talks about its workflow. And so be careful never to just pick up somebody else's board and use it. Really walk through your own workflow. Start from when that feature or epic arrives or that capability arrives and just ask yourself, and then what do we do? And you'll start to list out activities and you can put a moniker or a name around each of those steps. Gotcha. And, and that's, I think, key, and we'll touch about uh, on that again, is this, the, is this the uniqueness, or maybe that we, unique is the wrong word, but it's just something that really agrees with the organization and what they're doing. So I think that makes a lot of sense. So extending this example, could, could there be a situation where an organization might not release, even though something has gone through all the stages that they've def defined in their workflow? I would always want to have that final step where I actually release something. Um, and there are a few situations that can make that look a little bit different. One is the continuous deployment situation where I'm deploying work all the time, every hour, every day, every minute. Uh, and I've really decoupled the concept of deployment from release. And so there I'll see things like there'll be a engineering done, uh, column that actually means it's deployed. And then there's a release column that's really about the business activities that go on of, say, maybe notifying people. Or I have a client right now who talks about things like, well, we aggregate a few of these up because we do need to do user training every time we release something new. So even though we're deploying every day, 
we're decoupling that from when we release because of these activities that we need to do. And so there's a release column there that's that business of, okay, here, we're going to do user training uh, to make sure that everybody's prepared. And then we're going to actually flip the feature toggle and then it's actually released into our users' hands. Perfect. So, so I'm going to make an extension here and you can slap me down if it's wrong, but, um, we have this idea in Scrum of, of getting to the end of a sprint and having potentially releasable elements, right? I mean, you, it's analogous here, right? Where you'd have something that could be in a release category, but you don't, for some reason, release it. Is, yeah. that, is, that, a, is that appropriate? Yeah, that's a fair way of thinking about it. I think one of the powers of things like uh, CICD is that ability to completely decouple the concept of deploying from releasing and making releasing a, a business decision that's done whenever we want it. And if you are in that situation, your board should enable and support that flow. Uh, if you're not in that situation, then you may have something I think of as a ready to release queue where features or epics start to kind of pile up in that queue because we only release every X, we only release every six months or we release once a quarter. And so we are basically done, <laughs> but we don't have the infrastructure yet to be able to release on demand. And so there's this pile waiting for the release vehicle to occur. Gotcha. So, I mean, what you've described is sort of this is sort of a primary flow through the system. Um, you mentioned sometimes that you see clients needing to have a secondary flow, right? I mean, you talk about things like maybe the sales channel kicks up something that says to get this customer, we have to do this particular task. And so you need that to win the business. So there's another workflow model that helps to make sure you're accounting for that trade-off that the business wants to make. Is that right? So this is similar to when I have Kanban at the team level. And the team has multiple, very different kinds of work flowing through that team. Uh, for example, at the team level, I might have a team who primarily is using Scrum and doing product backlog items, but there's also some amount of production support that team does. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to model that team and actually have a separate swim lane for that production support work because it has a different asker, it has a different cadence, it has a different arrival time, and it goes to a different uh, end stakeholder. So the same thing can be true at the program board. It's certainly not something I do on every program board. I'd say it's more uh, a rarity, but sometimes at that program level, you start to talk about a piece of work that feels radically different. I can think of an example where most of what they were doing was kind of their planned roadmap work. But as you were mentioning, there were times where they'd have these targeted, uh, if we do this feature or make this slight revision to our system, we'll be able to land this customer. And so we literally had two swim lanes for them so that they could see the roadmap work and they could see that sales opportunity work and better manage it. It gave them two things. One, it was a clear recognition that we were doing a lot of sales opportunity work. It slowed down the roadmap work so that that trade-off became really visible to them. And also just prioritization, right? We didn't necessarily say, yeah, absolutely, we'll do that sales opportunity. If there were two of them in the queue, you had to make a decision about, well, do we do both of them? 
Uh, do we do them both in parallel? Do we do them one at a time? Does one of them not look like it provides enough business value to take away our work of roadmap work? So those trade-offs just became very clear to them. And that's one right. of the powers of Kanban. Right. And the visibility, right? You have, Now you have people, the, the stakeholders and business folks can make a decision together that makes sense, you know, at that collaboration decision-making process. So this is different um, because we're at this uh, a higher level of, of hierarchy or abstraction here. This is different than at a team level where you would have maybe you had another swim lane for defects and things that, that were urgent. So you run this thing in parallel. This is, you wouldn't have that at an epic and feature level, the higher level stuff wouldn't have that necessarily. This would be more things that you would want to work on at, that were bigger pieces of value, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. I mean, okay. I need something that would be sort of different from, but parallel in terms of business importance to the main swim lane that was at that Kanban board. So something Perfect. that was similar to we're delivering features to our customer something that is an equivalent waiting before I would really consider having a swim lane. Right. Makes sense. So how about a workflow example from the safe world? We have, we certainly have a lot of scaled agile folks out there that have implemented that. And so they're probably curious, how does this work? So why don't you lead us through an example there? Sure. And in fact, safe itself has the concept of Kanban at the program level and Kanban at the portfolio level. Uh, and one of the things I really encourage people to do is actually step through the activities that we've been talking about together of really understanding your work model. Um, but it wouldn't be uncommon for at that program or essential safe level for us to see something where there's a program backlog because that's the input in safe at that level. And then there's a column or stage there where we're really talking about preparing features for PI planning, because there's work that happens before PI planning in preparing for that. So I'd want that visualized on the board. Uh, then there is likely a, a queue that's kind of the, here's the work that we've committed for this PI. And uh, that becomes where teams start to pull work off of that committed queue. And you see that work is in the teams being built uh, and then I would likely have a step of accepting that. So something like the system demo where we demonstrate it to the product management organization and to our stakeholders so that I know that that has now been accepted or approved or validated or verified or however you want to name that particular column. Uh, and then I'd likely have um, potentially a deploy column if there were some manual steps to do that, maybe not, and then a release column for that activity of actually going through the release process of the features. So it's pretty well integrated with SAFE. It's actually, it, it's actually a, there's a lot of synergy there. There is a lot of synergy there. And in, in fact, SAFE has an example Kanban board at both the program level and the portfolio level. But again, I'm a big fan of making sure that you do the thinking to make sure that your implementation really, your Kanban board really is your implementation. So a perfectly fine starting point, but do that thinking to make sure it matches what you're really doing. Yep. Totally makes sense. So, you know, now that we've defined work item types and we've modeled the workflow through these different examples, you now need to have a definition of exit criteria in the flow, correct? I mean, that's a big thing that you've seen in a lot of the teams you've worked with is making sure that's nice and crisp. So why don't you, why don't you lead us through a little bit of that 
uh, that nuance. Yep. The thing I love about exit criteria for program Kanban boards is that cross-functional aspect of them, making sure that I've got the needs of user experience considered. I've got the needs of uh, program management considered. And I've got the needs of the engineering or technical organization considered. Uh, Eric Simmons in his three-circle model likes to talk about a lot about business usage and technology as being the triads. Uh, and that's really reflective of those disciplines we've just been talking about. And so going to each column and asking, what do we need to do in each of those three major areas to consider the work in this particular column complete? So very early in the column, if I'm looking at something like a feature evaluation, I might see something like maybe a simple business case in place or a feature template being created and reviewed. Um, or And maybe there's something about kind of ha having identified uh, the key persona or the key user that this feature is for and having a usage scenario identified. And then perhaps in that very early stage, the exit criteria from technology is basically it passes that sniff test. Nobody laughs me out the door when I describe what we're trying to do. <laughs> There's a sniff again. Yep. And then as we move... <laughs> Later and later, what you're going to see is deeper and more robust activities happening as we take a, an idea or set of features we're kind of evaluating and start to move those into more deeply understanding them. Now I might really be seeing things like a, a high-level story map being built out. So we've got a good understanding of kind of the major workflow that we're doing. Uh, I may have talked about my scenario in more detail so that now I'm starting to talk about maybe key edge cases that we need to be thinking about. And I've probably done initial technical feasibility, really driven out any big picture technical risks that I have uh, in that next column in my board. That's good. I think I, I get a really good picture of that. I, I appreciate also the three, the three circle model. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. And I, you know, I'll hit this again. I think we touched on it earlier, but um, these should be kind of unique to every organization you work with, or every group, right? They, they shouldn't. There shouldn't be a, a footprint that looks the same no matter where you who you work with. That's right. And my litmus test for Kanban always, whether it's team Kanban, program Kanban, portfolio Kanban, is when we're done. Uh, visualizing all of this, we take a step back and we look at it and we all nod our heads and say, yep, that's what we do. And if I don't have people nodding their heads and saying, yep, that's what we do, we have done something wrong. <laughs> that's, cool. that, that's that's making everybody agree, right? I mean, and, and I think the beauty of all this is just the visual aspect of it is people can see it, they can understand it, they can comment on it, they can debate it but you know eventually you, you get to some point where everybody agrees and and these do these things change over time can they change over time oh yeah they absolutely should i mean every once in a while we'll model something and we'll look we'll step back and we'll look at the model and we'll go huh <laughs> i'm not sure that this flow is a good flow it seems like uh there's a client we, we were working with a while ago and we were looking at uh, the flow of what they were doing, and they were doing a lot of really heavy upfront early analysis uh, that was really being done at a time when it was more about we need a lightweight analysis to make trade-off decisions. So out of this collection of, say, 10 features that we're looking at, we want to pick the top three to move forward. 
And instead, they were doing really detailed analysis or pretty detailed analysis of all 10. And so kind of looking at that and saying, you know, we really ought to have a couple of early stages where we're doing lighter weight analysis and this activity ought to be further in our flow. Um, you can sometimes just literally look at it and say, yep, that's what we're doing now. And we shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Uh, and so that happens sometimes. And certainly your world can change. And so if your world changes and it changes in a way that changes the steps of the program board, for example, you were say releasing once a month, but now you're fully in CICD. I would expect to see a change in the Kanban board because of that, where instead of having kind of a ready to release queue where work is piling up for that monthly release, I now just have a engineering done column uh, that is basically it's deployed and a separate release column. And so that queue now goes away. So if your world changes, that Kanban board should change with that. Makes sense. So um, our last topic on the on the setup area about program boards is to talk about work and process limits. Um, and, and in this particular case, again, we're at the higher level of, uh, of um, hierarchy here. We're talking about optimizing the flow of value again, right? That we keep coming back to that, but that's what this is all about, right? That's right. And I'm really looking for, again, that ideation to value delivery concept. And honestly, with WIP limits, unlike at the team level where I just do not set teams up without WIP limits, um, at the program level, I'll often have teams run for a little while before we start talking about WIP limits, because often just establishing that first board, that visualization of the work, everybody kind of looks at it and goes, oh, wow, we've got a lot of work in process here, right? And it's just, it jumps out strikingly. And so initially we're just going through and getting rid of obvious bottlenecks, um, obvious areas where work in process is too high or areas where we're not maybe doing enough upfront early work. And so we're seeing this like long, period of time where we're kind of starving the system and then we throw a big batch in. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times just obvious stuff will come up that's pretty clear and we fix those. And then we start talking about whip limits. Gotcha. And, and, and I guess it would, it, it uh, in comparing that to a team level, it, it's really a cycle time thing, right? When you're talking about this level of hierarchy, it's a, it's a long time to get some of these things out to a releasable point. It's not like uh, a, the team doing something in a short window. So the cycle time really, you do want to you do want to play and work for a while before you start adjusting the whip limits because of, of that nature, right? Yeah, and I mean, again, your mileage as a company will vary if you're releasing things um, that are meaningful customer value and you're doing that every couple weeks. Uh, that's going to look really different. Uh, then organizations who are, say, releasing every three months or so, there's just going to be a different kind of rhythm, a different flow. We're probably going to be talking about sort of different whip limits to optimize that system. Gotcha. So there is this notion of, of um, when you do actually put these in place, there's this notion of min and max. I mean, can you have too little or too much evaluation on the front end going on? I think you touched on that a little bit, but that's that's an example of that, right? Yeah. So most of the time when people think about whip limits, they think about a single point. We can only have four items in this particular column or 
no more than four items in this particular column. Uh, and a min-max whip limit says more like, instead of saying four, we're saying uh, we don't want to have fewer than three, and we don't want to have more than seven. So we're having uh, basically a trigger, right? If I get down to two, it's time to start putting more stuff in because I don't have enough options. Uh, if I have more than seven, then I'm spreading myself too thin across too many ideas. And min-max whip limits get used a lot more in the very early stages of portfolio and program Kanban boards where I want, say, more ideas potentially to compete against each other so that I get the best of breed moving forward through the rest of the board. I don't generally want it to be late in the board because if I do have this idea of I have a whole collection, they're competing against each other, but if I've spent a ton of work in that whole collection and now I'm putting a bunch of stuff in the trash can, it's really wasteful. Yeah, and, and that's what we're all about here is trying to make sure we minimize that. That's back to the the origins of Kanban. That's right. So, you know, now we have the mechanics illustrated for, for this program level Kanban idea. Um, let's talk about two-tier Kanban boards. What are those? That's another topic that comes up in your in your work with clients, right? Yep. So tier two tier Kanban board is a board that has multiple levels of information on it. Uh, a common one here would be that I say have a board with epics and I also have the stories underneath those epics on the same board. So what I'll see is that very early in the board, I'll be talking about that higher level of abstraction. I'll be talking about the epic or the feature. Then as that gets into the middle of the board and that epic gets decomposed into the children's stories that are flowing through one or more teams, uh, I'll start to see those stories uh, moving across the board. And eventually I'll see that aggregation of all of those stories being done. And then that feature or epic will move into, say, maybe end-to-end -end system test and then into deploy and release. And so the front end end will be at the higher level of abstraction and the middle will be at that more detailed or granular level. Gotcha. I mean, it's. I, I think that makes sense to me, but uh, I'm, I'm also thinking about, the, do tools help in this case, or they actually they make it worse trying to visualize this? I have generally seen this done on physical boards. So I will say I don't know every single Kanban tool that's out there. Some of them may do a good job with this, but a lot of the tools just don't. They don't give you this ability to have multiple levels of abstraction on a single board. Instead, you would be talking about multiple different boards looking at these different levels of abstraction. And that's what I end up putting in place in most organizations because the tools support that. I mean, do you see changes coming in the tools to, to, to help there? Or is, it, is that just something that, that just basically what you see is much better dealt with at a physical level? So far, from what I've seen is just much better dealt with at a physical level. And you can get the same information. It's just now I need to look at, say, two boards instead of going to one big board that has the view. And some people actually like that. I've had teams where the vast majority of their day in and day out work is on the user stories. And so that's what they want to be looking at most of the time. And then they'll pop up to the higher level of abstraction, looking at, say, the flow of epics when they're starting to bring in the finishing one epic and kind of preparing the next epic, 
they pop up there to have those conversations and then go back down to the storyboard for their day in and day out work again. So it helps them to kind of separate the details. Um, so in my mind, it's uh, right now <laughs> in our world of virtual, I'm going to do what the boards allow me to do uh, inside right. of the tools because, you know, the idea that we're going to have a lot of physical boards right now with people working from home, being in multiple locations just naturally, inherently because of COVID, I think it's uh, it's a it's a fight I don't want to fight. Let me find something that works effectively inside of the tools and gives me 80, 90, 95% of what I need. Well, I think that's very timely advice. I and mean, that, that, I, I was trying to envision how, how would you do that? You'd have it some, and set up in somebody's bedroom, a camera on a board, and then people call in and the person ends up being the scribe. And that's, you know, people have enough to do with COVID and having to work together as teams without having to deal with that probably. So... Well, I used to recommend that a lot, but if you had like one person who was remote so that you did have a physical board, because I've been a huge fan of Kanban physical boards and Scrum physical boards for a long time. I think there's just something different in how we interact with those. Um, and who knows? I mean, there's some wonderful whiteboarding tools. Um, Miro and Miro have been doing great things. Who knows what we'll see a year from now? Sure. And let's hope we're not still in this situation a year from now. We'll see. Knock on wood. So real, realistically, this is the biggest tool in your Kanban toolbox, this multi-level Kanban board concept, right? I mean, we touched on portfolio and program levels. Um, that's really what we're talking about here, right? That's right. That's right. And generally what I'll find is we're going to be putting a program board in, regardless of whether we're using Kanban team boards or not, just because that bigger picture visualization is the one that managers want to see, that product managers want to see. So I want a Kanban board at a minimum at that level. I may have team level boards. I may not. I may have a portfolio level board. I may not. But I'm really going to want this program board so that I can make sure that I'm looking at the path through the forest, not the bark on the tree. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's that's a great that's a great way of saying it, right? I mean, you do have people at, you know, maybe the C-suite or executive level that want to concentrate on portfolio. So they want to see you know, all the holdings, everything is going on in, in a snapshot. That's a great way to do it. Um, maybe director levels at program and maybe combination of those. Is there any, do the tools allow people to pop down through that? Is that the way that they work generally? If someone yep. can, you know, can, can kind of move in and out of the different views? Yep. Yep. You can basically, most of them in some form or fashion, allow you to filter your view to look at the different levels of abstraction supported by the tool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, and I think this, I think this whole idea for me, and I know it's hard in a, in a podcast to, to talk about a visual environment, but I think we're doing a pretty good job of getting through it. So, um, you know, bear with us. Visions uh, so, I mean, of Kanban boards are dancing through your head. Yes, something like that. Trying to trying to remember what they look like, but that's that, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, I can really tell that this work really gets you excited. This is this is neat stuff to do, and and I think this portfolio stuff. You you know you you have repeatedly talked about this with the clients we do. Um, we're almost at a wrap point, I think, today in terms of the topics we want to talk about. Do you have any any kind of parting thoughts you might want to share with regards to um, to what we've talked about today? Anything that you want you think might be really things you want to accentuate? 
Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll ask whether they should use Scrum or should use Kanban, like it's an either or choice. Um, and I always say to them, I just don't think that's the right question to ask. For me, it's more of a where should I use Kanban? And I do absolutely love the idea of Kanban at this higher level of abstraction, at my product or my program level, at that level of value that flows across more than one team that has steps that cross both product management, user experience, and technology so that I can get that alignment and I can seek to optimize for value flow rather than, say, team busyness. Because my teams can be super busy, but in ways that actually sub-optimize our ability to flow value across the organization. So I'm a huge believer that whether it's Scrum at the team level, Kanban at the team level, a mix of both of them, having this view of the work that's more at my program or product level uh, to help make sure that we're thinking about that big picture is absolutely invaluable. The forest for the trees idea. Yep. Right? Yeah, yep. you definitely want to stand back and see. So, I, and I, and I, you know, from my workings with you and different clients, um, I know a lot of a lot of them use a mixed environment. So that's that, I think that's a strong message to say that they can't. It doesn't have to be either or. You know, you definitely want to be able to embrace both of them because there's value in in, in both ways of of uh, of working. And and it and you know certainly being able to continue to see the value that you're delivering is important across the board, regardless. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, excellent. I think that takes us to the end of our time on this episode. I thank you again for taking the time to talk with uh, with us through the higher, bigger picture level Kanban systems. I think our listeners, after three of these episodes, <laughs> hopefully if they're listening, um, they really understand where the models apply, how valuable they are, and and you know hopefully they they start uh, playing if they haven't uh, in, in in implementing these things in their organizations. Makes sense. Absolutely. All right, that's a wrap. So be sure to tune in again for another episode of In Step and Adapt, the Constructs podcast. Until then, this has been Mark Griffin as your host. Liz Ostaszewski has been our audio engineer, and Devin Musgrave is our fearless producer. If you enjoyed this podcast, um, feel free to give us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you normally find us. As I mentioned earlier, the nexus of this three-part Kanban series came from you, our listeners, so it does indeed work. We do listen to you, and we do put things in place to, to satisfy your interests. If you have ideas for future podcasts or comments on this one or want to talk about something about this particular episode with one of our practitioners on this topic or other topics, reach out via email using comments at constructs.com. Again, that's comments at constructs.com. We would love to hear from you. Keep staying safe out there, everybody, and have a great next sprint. Bye.